A couple of announcements. Number one, we have a reunion road show coming up in August, so August 4th. Um, if you have not met the Johnsons, you're in for a treat because they're fantastic, and we are having our reunion um, gathering at their place. They're hosting us, so please bring, I have the information, please bring um, your own lunch. This is not a potluck, so if you would like to eat food, you should bring it. Um, there's also a pool there, and it is awesome, so bring a bathing suit uh, because you can go swimming, and if you, I don't know what to do if you don't have a bathing suit, so just don't forget that. Um, there are also, if you've got some lawn games, please feel free to bring those as well because there's lots of space and there's lots of people. So it'd be an awesome way for us to just get together and have some family time and family fun. So please remember those things. Um, don't come here on August 4th, okay? So the address is here. Make a note. Um, the next uh, announcement is about our Strom's reunion um, time. So this is on Sunday, September 1st. So the First fall kickoff, we're going to be at Strom's Farm. Um, address is Strom's Farm, Google. Um, <laughs> we are going to be having a baptism uh, service there. So if you are interested in being baptized, there was a connection card that you potentially got when you came in um, this morning. On that connection card, you can indicate that you are interested in um, talking to someone about baptism. So that would be a great first step. If you're panicking because you didn't get a connection card, but you're still interested, you can talk to Matt or Spencer or any of our staff or elders, and we will point you in the right direction because baptism is fantastic, and we would love to celebrate as a family with you as you get baptized at Strums. So if you're interested, please reach out. If you have questions and you don't know if you're interested yet, but you're like kind of thinking about it, that's also a really great time to reach out. We love to connect with you about it. Baptism is absolutely amazing, and we'd love to um, celebrate that with you. That was a fun game, Brigida. <laughs> um, please open your Bibles with me. We're in Samuel, um, Samuel 23. If you didn't bring your Bible this morning, um, we have some lovely ushers who would love to share some of the Bibles with you. Just put up your hand, and they'll make sure you get one. So in Samuel 23, I'm going to read to you um, a historical event of Saul pursuing David to harm him and to kill him and his men. Um, so hopefully everyone has, I don't know the page number, um, but hopefully you find it in Samuel 23. I printed it out on this sheet for me. Looks like you guys are ready. So listen to the word of the Lord. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah and besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah Surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah. And they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Matthew, for reading the scripture for us this morning. How are we? Good. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors uh, here for our church family, that is Church of the City. Uh, you may be, what I realized that was just quite interesting as I look about 
or the room today is there's a lot of new faces. And so what I'm realizing about the summer is maybe the summer's a time that people are checking out different church communities. And so we're so glad if you're here, if you're, if you're new. Uh, as I said, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors, specifically the pastor of teaching and vision. And so I get to do a bunch of the teaching for our church family on Sunday mornings like this. So it's good to be together. I was away for a couple of weeks of vacation. And one thing that I got to do, which many of you get to do on a regular basis, is participate in a church service, but just as a participant. I don't get to do that often. And so when I'm on vacation, I like to slip into other churches and so had the opportunity to do that over the last couple of weeks. I actually like to leave during the last song, uh, which always seems like a little bit strange to people. Like, why is that guy like taking off fairly quickly? But for me, I just like to go in anonymous, leave anonymous. And uh, it's a really big blessing for me. Um, And while I was over the last week, I had the opportunity to listen to the teachings that happened while I was gone. And I was just so thankful uh, for Jeremiah, who spoke a a couple weeks ago, and then Michael, who spoke last week. And they did a fantastic job um, teaching. And so one of the the goals for me is that we would be known as a a church that teaches the Bible, uh, not necessarily known for one particular teacher, but as a church that cares deeply about God's word, cares deeply about the scriptures. And so uh, those young guys did a fantastic job opening the book um, of 1 Samuel for us and helping us understand a little bit more about David and Goliath, the story of David and Goliath, and then last week, the, the jealousy that Saul had towards David. Before we jump into this morning's teaching, I again want to say, if you do not have a Bible, raise your hand. I know Matthew already invited you to do that, but we are going through nine chapters today, and we're going to be flipping through fairly quickly. So you're going to want a physical, uh, you maybe have your phone, which is also fine. You can move probably through rather quickly. But if you have a physical Bible, it's going to be fun because we're going to be jumping a lot of verses, and uh, we'll arrive at the end of today having gone through nine chapters of a story in the life of David on the run from Saul. Well, let's start here now by taking a moment to pause, to sit, and to quiet ourselves. Maybe for you this is, can be an emotional check-in, see how you're feeling before we continue uh, with our morning's teaching. So Jesus, I recognize that this is maybe, for some of us, the first time we've, we've taken an opportunity to be still this morning, and so we pray that you would enter into that, that you would meet us where we are, as you promised you do and will. And I pray that as we, as we are together today, that you would do something really profound in each of our lives and our hearts, that you would remind us who we are. And maybe for some of us here, God, we don't know you. We don't acknowledge that we have a relationship with with God Almighty, with Jesus. I pray that you would convict our hearts and change us, and that you would help us to continue to grow, to become more like your son, Jesus, and that we would look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith and our King. In your son's name we pray. Amen. How many of you this is, this is an opportunity for all of us to be vulnerable, for you particularly to be vulnerable. How many of you like to be chased? Does anyone here like to be chased? You can raise your hand if you like to be chased. Okay, Bianca, you like, you like to be chased. I don't know many people that like to be chased. Okay, we have some, some young folks over here on the stage that like to be chased. It's interesting, eh? Like when, when we are leading games for young people, there's lots of games that involve some sort of chasing, right? Maybe it's hide and go seek, maybe it's tag, maybe it's capture the flag. We're always making younger people chase each other. And then at some point, maybe you grow out of the being chased phase. Um, I know for me, I do not like being chased. I do not like being pursued. It freaks me right out. I remember as a youth pastor, uh, we, I would coordinate a whole bunch of different games, and I got to actually be the one chasing, and that was a ton of fun. Like, it's always fun being the one that gets to chase. It's not necessarily fun being the one that is chased. And the reason is, right, is you're, you're fearful of getting caught. Maybe for you, you can remember. You have some memories of this. Maybe, hopefully, they're positive memories. But your heart rate elevating. Um, you're, you're worried, like, what's it going to look like when I'm caught? Am I going to have to go to jail if it's in a game situation or context? Um, needless to say, I think many of us have been very honest this morning in saying we don't like to be chased. 
What's interesting about being chased is, I think there's a connection to be made, is that sometimes we have situations in our life where it feels like we're being chased, or it feels like we are being pursued, or it feels like we're in a situation that's particularly difficult and we can't seem to get ahead. Maybe it's a relationship, right? And it just seems like every little bit of the way, it's difficult, it's hard, and we're constantly, we're going to get caught, or maybe for you, it's just, there's something extremely difficult going on in a particular area of your life that's difficult, and it feels like the experience of being chased. And so I want to hone in on that today, because we're focusing on the nine chapters in 1 Samuel, in which David is being pursued by Saul, in which he's quite literally being chased. Uh, Last week, Michael introduced for us and spoke on the topic of Saul pursuing David, and it was out of his jealousy So if you have your Bibles, let's explore the context. 1 Samuel 18, we're going to start there, verses 28 and 29. This is Saul's growing jealousy of David, his burning anger, which leads to his jealousy, which as we read the story, we find is actually rooted in Saul's insecurity and in his fear. And Michael did a brilliant job last week pointing that out, that sometimes our jealousy towards other people is because of our own insecurity and is because of our own fears. 1 Samuel 18, 28 to 29 says this, But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael, his daughter, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. And then the story escalates extremely quickly. Chapter 19, verse 1. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all of his servants that they should kill David. So his jealousy leads him, and then in the following chapter, in chapter 19, Saul tries to kill David, and then Saul sends his men to David's home to have him killed. I mean, the jealousy is, has escalated. The situation is getting intense, so much so that all Saul wants to do is to have David killed, have him murdered, one of his best military men, We want him dead. I want him dead. People love him. They love him more than me. I want him dead. And then through the next nine chapters, we see where this jealousy leads him. So let's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through every point in which David is forced to move because of Saul chasing him. Okay, there's actually 16 points in which David is on the run from Saul. And I want to go through these 16 points so that we can all, at the end of this, look back and say, holy smokes, like, look how many times he had to move. Look where Saul's jealousy took him. But also, we are going to be able to see more deeply into David's life what it was like to be pursued, what it was like to be chased, and what that did with his relationship with God. So the first time that David needs to move, 1 Samuel 19, 11 and 12. This is what it says. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through the window, so he fled away and he escaped. So the first time David leaves is David leaves Gibeah and he leaves in the middle of the night. Now Psalm 59 actually gives us a window into how David was feeling at this point. The first moment that he realizes he needs to get out of there. Psalm 59 verses 1 to 4, David writes, Deliver me from my enemies. Oh my God, protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and they make ready. So David begins and he he petitions God. He says, God, I've, I've done nothing wrong. Why is Saul pursuing me? And then he goes on in Psalm 59, in verses 8 to 10, he writes, But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all nations in derision, O my strength. I will watch for you, for you, O God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. 
Now, I want to point out a couple of things, because do you see what David is doing? On one side of his psalm, David is petitioning God and saying, God, what is going on? Have mercy. Get these enemies away from me. I don't want to die. But then at the very same time, he's also saying to God, if you do not release me, I'm still going to trust you because you're still in control. You're still faithful. So the circumstances of life, number one, are difficult, and David is asking God to intervene, but then he trusts that even if God doesn't intervene, God is still faithful and in complete control. So with that idea introduced and stated, let's keep going. What does David do? Verse 18 of chapter 19. So David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah, and he told him all that Saul had done to him, and he and Samuel went and lived at Naoth. So David goes. This is now the second move that he's made. He goes to Samuel at Naoth in Ramah. This is interesting because even though David believes God is faithful in difficult circumstances and asks God to save him, he doesn't remain where he is. He runs, he fights in some sense, and he takes action. So what does this mean? What, what can we learn from what is going on so far in the story? And we're going to see it continually. Is that sometimes faithfulness, which has been a theme throughout our series so far, and it's particularly of David's life, sometimes faithfulness looks like staying, and other times it means fighting or in another way saying running. Sometimes faithfulness means staying, and sometimes faithfulness means running. Sometimes it means using your God-given ability and instincts to fight, as well as the ability and instincts of other people. So for example, an example of cancer. What does it mean to trust that God is faithful while also dealing with cancer? Many of us have been in those situations before, maybe currently in that situation. What does it mean to believe that God is faithful in the midst of cancer? Well, it may mean fighting cancer through treatment and surgery, all the while believing that God is sovereign and when he says yes to healing and when he says no. Or how about a situation of mental health? What does it mean to trust that God is faithful while also dealing with mental health? And it may mean taking the advice and counsel of your doctor for medication and continuing to pray for restoration. Or what does it mean in the realm of sexuality? What does it mean to trust that God while dealing with confusion related to sexuality? And that might mean fighting desires and creating structures of accountability while all of the while trusting God's design and intent for human sexuality through obedience. Do you see the two tensions that are at play? I pray for God to intervene, but then I also trust him if he, for whatever reason, says no to intervening in the way that I'm praying for. Now, all of this raises this tension of our role and God's role in our circumstances. And what we see in David's life is that these are not competing ideas on two ends of the spectrum, but complements on the same pathway. Look what happens next. 1 Samuel 19, 20 to 24. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing his head over them, the spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is in Seku. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they are at Naoth and Ramah. And he went there to Naoth and Ramah. And the spirit of God came upon him also. And he went and he prophesied until he came to Naoth and Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel and laid naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? Now, there is a full story here, right? Like some of us are jotting this down like, oh my goodness, I need to go back here and do some study because this seems like a weird story. And it is. I want you to pick up a couple points though is that David flees, which is his personal responsibility, but then God also intervenes by bringing the prophetic words from Saul and from the others. So God is, and David are both at play. Now, this was also the case in the life of Jesus, personal responsibility, trusting that God is sovereign. 
Luke 4, 28 to 30. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him, this is Jesus, out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Some of us maybe recall these stories from the life of Jesus in which Jesus is in situations where he was teaching in the synagogue. He was pointing it to himself as the fulfillment of the word of the prophets. And what happens? The, the Jewish people are like, no, you can't say that about yourself, and they want him dead. Now, Jesus came, and Jesus came and would die. But what can we read about what happens with Jesus here? Jesus knows it isn't his time yet to die. And so while people want to throw him off of the cliff, Jesus escapes. He gets away. It's not his time yet. And then secondly, we also see this in the life of Paul, Acts 9, 23 to 25. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, luring him in a basket. Now you might be saying, well, why do I bring this up? And to go back to the point I made is that sometimes faithfulness to God looks like staying, and other times it means fighting or running. Sometimes faithfulness looks like staying, remaining, and sometimes it means fighting. Now, obviously, the application of that in all of our lives can look differently. But what does that look like for you right now? For fighting for a relationship, for fighting for employment, for fighting for whatever it might be. Sometimes it means staying, and sometimes it means fighting. Let's get back to the story. What does David do, and where does David go next? 1 Samuel 20, verse 1. David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt, and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Stop number three. David returns to Gibeah to meet Jonathan. And while together, Jonathan and David, they make a covenant with one another. This is what it says, 13b to 17 of chapter 20. May the Lord be with you. This is Jonathan speaking to David. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. Now, let's sort of come back from the story. Do you see what Jonathan is doing? What does he say? May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemy. Question, who is David's enemy? Saul. Jonathan knowingly calls the Lord's vengeance on his own father. Whoa. Why? I think what we see here is that Jonathan trusts God's choice of the anointed one, being David, and God, Jonathan submits himself, one, to God's choice, and then he submits himself to David. And then in addition to the covenant, Jonathan also makes a plan to warn David if Saul still wants him dead. And the answer is yes. First Samuel 20, 30 to 31. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, listen to this, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman! Do I not know that you have chosen, chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Wow. Wow. Saul is speaking the truth to his son Jonathan. He's saying, if David is alive, you're never going to be king. Don't you want to be king? And the only way that you're going to be king is if we kill David. And Jonathan says, no, I'm not going to kill David. Actually, I've made a covenant with him. So where does David go? Because this signals that he has to leave. 1 Samuel 21, verse 1. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. So this is the fourth move. He goes to Ahimelech, the priest at Nob. And while he's with Ahimelech, David collects food for his men, and then he also collects Goliath's sword. But David doesn't stay at Nob. He moves again. 
21 verse 10, 1 Samuel 21 verse 10, and David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. This is now stop number five. David continues to Gath, which is a Philistine city, for refuge. Now this is a really interesting part of the story because while he's there, the men of Gath are like, we've heard about David and how incredible of a military man that he is. We can't let him stay here. But look what David does. Hilarious details in the text here. 1 Samuel 21, 13 to 14. So what does David do in response to this fear that the men of Gath have toward him? So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane. Pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down into his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see that this man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I, like, do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? You see what David does? He's like, they think that I'm scary. They think that I'm going to be a threat. So I'm going to make myself look insane. And we are given the detail. He lets spittle run into his beard. Like, bah! And the people are like, like, he's not actually, he can't be that scary. Look what he's doing. He's a madman. Hilarious. And yet again, we also have another window into how David was feeling in Psalm 56. This is what Psalm 56, 5 to 7 reads at this point in David's life. All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape and wrath cast down the peoples. Oh God. And look what he says next, verses 12 to 13. I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from failing, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Who says that on enemy territory as you're making yourself insane? Despite the challenges of his circumstances, David acknowledges God's salvation and therefore wants to offer God a prayer of thanksgiving and worship. What's the point? Well, as we've said, sometimes faithfulness to God looks like staying, and other times it means fighting or running, yet both are opportunities for worship and a deepening of relationship with God. Just because the circumstances of your life are not ideal, just because it's difficult, does not mean you still don't have an opportunity to worship and thank God. And that's what David shows us so far in the story. He's fleeing. He's not at home. He's continually running. He's now behind in enemy territory amongst the Philistines. Yet he still wants to worship. Well, David continues, 1 Samuel 22, 1 to 2. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So this is stop number six, the cave of Adullam. And Psalm 57 and Psalm 142 give us some insight into how David was feeling in the caves. Psalm 57 verse four, my soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Psalm 142, 1 to 2. With my voice, I cry out loud to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. Yet he says twice in the midst of Psalm 57, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. What's the point? is that sometimes faithfulness to God means staying, and other times it means fighting and running, yet both are opportunities for worship and a deepening of our relationship with God. Now, David doesn't stay in the cave of Adullam. He moves again, and he realizes he can't keep his family in the cave. 
1 Samuel 22, verse 3. So David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please take my father and my mother, stay, may they stay with you, till I know what God has done for me. And he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him. And all that time, David was in the stronghold. So notice what David does. He takes his family, his parents, to the king of Moab and Mizpah. So the parents stay in Moab. But then we are given where David goes next. Stop number eight, he goes to the stronghold. Now we can't be sure where the stronghold it is, but it's yet again another location. Stop number eight. But guess what? David doesn't stay there either. And I hope you're sort of maybe following the numbers on the screen, the location, right? This is like a visual appeal to look how far David is continually moving as he's running, right? He doesn't stay there either. Stop number nine, 1 Samuel 22, verse five. Then the prophet Gad said to David, do not remain in the stronghold, depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. So David obeys the prophet and he does move again. In the remainder of chapter 22, it tells us of Saul finding out about how the priest Ahimelech, a couple stops ago, helped David, and the consequences are dire of what happens. 1 Samuel 22, verses 18 to 23. Then the king, King Saul, said to Doeg, you turn and strike the priests. And Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck down the priests, and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of priests, he put to the sword, both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey and sheep, he put to the sword. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, listen to this, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul. Listen to what he said. I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. Now, we've already made a number of moves, but I, moves. I just want to stop. At this point, imagine being David. Imagine being David. Not only is David's life in upheaval due to constant relocation, he is also now bound with guilt and remorse for the people that have been left in his wake, some who have risked their own lives to help him and have now been killed. You know, oftentimes we can read the stories and we forget the practical details. He also now has 400 men that are traveling with him, moving from place to place, no home, constant upheaval, Constantly no security other than themselves. This is intense. Yet in spite of it all, David remains a faithful protector and he moves again from the forest of Hereth. 1 Samuel 23, 1 to 2, and then verse 5. Now they told David, behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the thresh threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, and David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Stop number 10 is David rescues Keilah from Philistine raids. Now at this point, think about it. David could have cared more about his own protection than about protecting the lives of other people. And what does he do? He goes and he fights. And of course, Saul finds out that David is in Keilah and goes after him. So David is on the run again. So where does David go? 1 Samuel 23, 13 to 14. Then David and his men, who were about 600, so he was at 400, now there's 600 of them, they arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition, and David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Zith. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. So David flees to the wilderness of Zith to escape Saul. Stop number 11. David's army swells to 600. And it's during this time that Jonathan comes to David and he affirms his allegiance to him. But then the Ziphites, they tell Saul, hey, David is among us. 
David is hiding in our strongholds. And so David's on the run yet again. Where does David go? 1 Samuel 23, 24b to 28. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the Arabah to the south of Jeshem. And Saul and his men went to seek him, and David was told. So he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard it, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on him, uh, the Philistines, as Saul and his men were getting close on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place is called the Rock of Escaped. David travels to the wilderness of Maon, and the Ziphites betray him. Now, I want to take a bit of a look at Saul at this point. So not only is David fleeing, right? Saul is chasing him, but what does that mean Saul has done to his own protection and security in his own capital? He's left himself open to enemy attack. And that's exactly what happens. After he's pursuing David, the Philistines come and attack. So he has to return. He can't continue to pursue David. It just shows like what jealousy will do to us if we're not watching out for it, right? They were, they were going after people that are actually, should ought to be the people that are closest to us, that we trust and admire and respect. Yet what it does is it leaves us susceptible to other things. In the midst of this, Psalm 54, David writes, O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name. O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. The same themes in David's life are at play, right? Save me, intervene, yet I'm going to trust you even as I run. So David escapes by the skin of his teeth, and he continues. 1 Samuel 23, 29. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. So stop number 12. He goes to the strongholds of En Gedi. And here's another incredible story. It's that while he is in these strongholds, he's given an opportunity to kill Saul. Some of us are maybe familiar, familiar with the story. We read quite literally that Saul goes into this cave to relieve himself, go to the washroom, we assume, and David and his men are in the exact same cave. And David's men are like, David, you have an opportunity to kill him. And David's like, I can't kill the Lord's anointed. 1 Samuel 24, 11 to 12. This is David now calling out to Saul after Saul has left the cave. David does not take his life. He cuts a corner of his robe, but he doesn't take his life. He says, see my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. Let's just pause. Are you following the story? This is now stop number 13 for David. He's been forced to move 13 times with a growing group of men, no home, no stable setting, and he has the opportunity to avenge the man who wants him dead. And what does he say? May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. By my, but my hand shall not be against you. Like, who does that? I think the answer in part is a man after God's own heart, a man convinced by God's faithfulness when it doesn't make sense and committed to his own faithfulness when the circumstances are upside down. You know, I think back maybe to the first message I spoke about David being anointed, you know, the runts of the litter of his family, the final son, smallest, was out in the field as the shepherd boy, not even invited in for the ceremony. 
Yet God saw something in the heart of David at that point to say he is gonna be a fantastic king. And here we see his character tested. And what does he do? He remains faithful. Where does David go from here? 1 Samuel 24, verse 22, stop number 13. Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So David returns to the stronghold. And another psalm, Psalm 63, lets us in on David's emotion at this point too. Psalm 63, 1 to 4. Oh God, you are my God. Familiar psalm maybe to some of us. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. Yet again, No matter the difficulty of the circumstance, no matter the difficulty of the pain that he is going through, he says, I will not stop worshiping God. He is faithful. Now, he doesn't stay in the stronghold. He moves again in chapter 25. 1 Samuel 25, verse 1. Now, Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in the house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. So he goes to the wilderness in Paran. Uh, while he's in the wilderness in Paran, some of us know the story of Nabal and Abigail. This is what happens there. And once again, while he is there, he's betrayed by the men of Ziph. Ziph, 1 Samuel 26, 1 to 2. And once again, while here, David spares Saul's life. David has yet another opportunity where he can kill Saul, yet he doesn't. 1 Samuel 26, verse 24, David said, Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. He once again entrusts himself to God's timing, God's vengeance on Saul, and not what he could do in inserting his own power and strength. Now, it'd be nice to think that that was all, that that was the last stop. You know, he spares Saul's life, but yet he moves again. 1 Samuel 27, 1 to 4. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived in Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. So David... The 15th move makes his final move for refuge in Achish, king of Gath of the Philistines. And the result of that final move is that Saul says, okay, I'm no longer going to pursue you. Now, ultimately, David will move back again after the death of Saul. But think about this. Over nine chapters, how many of you have read this before and not realized that there were so many movements of David? I mean, I've read it countless times. And be like, oh, that's interesting. You know, he's moving again. 15 times. I mean, you go back to the map there, Jeff. Look at the geography that he has traveled. 400 men, 600 men behind enemy lines. At one point, his enemy is saying, this guy is scary. This guy is a military force. Well, I better make myself look insane then. Spittle in his beard. Two times he has the opportunity to take the life of his enemy. Saul, he could say at that point, well, you know what? This is kind of unique. Saul is in the very cave to relieve himself that I am in. This is an opportunity for me to kill him. Yet he doesn't do it. David, the anointed one, I mean, he knows he is anointed. He knows that he's the future king. God's promise has therefore been declared to him. David is now just waiting for that promise of God to come to fruition. And David's life is in danger from the present king. And he's forced to flee. What do we learn? Well, David shows us that faithfulness is not always a call to stay. Faithfulness can mean trusting God in the midst of the fight. 
because God is always faithful to his people. Right? I mean, isn't that, isn't that what the lesson of these nine chapters, that is he continually moves? That David is constantly, as, it's beautiful as you can go back and forth between the Psalms and the story, right? How many of you, maybe some of you have done the, the Bible chronologically and you've been reading through First and Second Samuel and then it'll say, oh, go read this Psalm because that coincides with this part of David's life. I mean, it's a fantastic way to read through it because you're let in on how David is feeling as he's going through this, this whole business of fleeing from Saul. But I mean, what this completely shows us is that even though David is running, he never is, you know, discounting that God is faithful to keep his promise. And what I believe this then points us to is that if we look at this story through the lens of the gospel and through the redemptive arc of the story, is that David then points us to a better future king who entrusted himself to God's faithfulness, knowing when to go, when to stay, and then when to lay his life down as a ransom for many, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. I want us to go to Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. This is the scene, Matthew's account of the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is what it's written about Jesus. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Do you see what he says? We go back to the theme of David. God, intervene. Petitioning, change this. Yet, I will trust your will Verse 40, he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, again for the second time he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Once again, father, if there's another way, but I'll do it. Verse 43, and again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Three times, Jesus prays, take this cup from me, Father. Petitions, if there's another way. You know, where the garden is, it's, it's, it's interesting geographically that at this point, Jesus could have run, right? As we saw in the past when I, I pointed out earlier that Jesus, you know, he's, he's in the synagogue. They're upset with him. The people there are like, we're going to throw him over a cliff. Jesus knew at that point that I've got to escape, Right? He, it's kind of weird the way the, the wording of that verse is. He's sort of like made his way through them. Like we aren't really sure how he does, but he gets away. Yet here is a moment where he could have escaped, yet he knows the Father's will and stays, knowing that is going to be his life, that is going to be taken. Jesus is faithful, even asking the Father to take the circumstances away. And why is he faithful? because we struggle with faithfulness. Because we struggle to be faithful. And this is why the ransom of Jesus is completely necessary. Jesus needed to go to the cross because we are unfaithful and our sin needs to be dealt with. If Jesus wasn't faithful, he couldn't be a substitute for us. Yet because he was faithful, we are given a substitute. And what does this mean for us today? It means that through faith in Jesus, we can declare to be true over Jesus is now true of us. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our old way of life, our faithfulness has been put to death and we are instead given the faithfulness of Christ. This means that while we are still bound to fall short, the Father no longer sees our faithlessness. He sees Christ in our place as the faithful one. If you're struggling today with how faithful you've been over the last week, over the last month, be reminded today and trust today the faithfulness of Christ on your behalf. That as he prays three times in the garden, Father, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. That his faithfulness is for you. That his obedience is for you. His life was given for you. This is good news. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, this has been a lot of text. God, we've been given in many ways a survey the life of David, nine chapters in which a man is fleeing for his life. A man who petitioned you countless times and saying, God, release me, save me. And so what we do see is that you did save him both through David running and you making him aware of when he needed to do that, but then also circumstances and situations in which you intervened. And so we sit here today, God, as every single one of us struggle from time to time in faithfulness. We struggle in faithfulness to you. We struggle in faithfulness in our relationships. We struggle in faithfulness at work, on our, in our neighborhood. Yet we thank you, God, that we can know today that you are faithful. And that what you have done for us is that you lived a perfect life of faithfulness so that we don't have to. And therefore, as we are unfaithful, we can thank you for what you have done for us. And so I pray today that if there is anyone who, here who has never trusted in your faithfulness, that they would do so. That they would trust what you have done for them and come to relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen.